Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. One Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse five to eighteen. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want. To see you now and make only a passing visit, I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Asia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people, and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit, and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Well, we believe because we're a diverse church, it really helps to have diverse voices on the platform speaking and sharing, and we want to give opportunity for others to grow in their gift and experience and confidence as well. And we've got two great guys who are going to be sharing. We have a Spaniard and a German, which is part of our kind of diverse culture. I think we have more than 40 nationalities here at Westminster Chapel, which is wonderful. So trying to increase that um, on the platform if we can. Um, and Andres will be familiar to you. He's spoken before and done a wonderful job, but it's it's actually Jonathan's first time um, in our context sharing with us. So we'd really love you to give a real encouragement to them. I'll just say before you do that, that they're coming up one after another. So Andres is going to come up first. So it'd be great to give him a big round of applause. So he feels like you're really behind him as he's coming out to preach and share. But then Jonathan will come up a bit later. And it'd be really awkward if you're really quiet when he comes up to share for the first time. So if you could do the same thing for Jonathan so he doesn't feel left out, that would be great. But let's just give Andres a massive warm welcome as he comes up to share. Woo, woo, woo. Thank you. Hi,
Hi everyone, if you don't know me, my name is Andres and I am part, a member of this church and also I have the great joy to serve as one of our life group leaders and 18 to 30s leaders. And today I have the pleasure to be bringing with Jonathan this message that we hope, we pray, will truly refresh our souls in God's power. And we are in part three out of five in our current series on rest, a series which whole purpose is to help us find God's rest, restoration, and refreshment for our souls. And this message will be focused on, on the rest that we can experience in community, the type of rest that we can give to and receive from others. And a couple of weeks ago, Andy kicked off this series brilliantly, looking at Matthew 11, 28-29, which contain a wonderful invitation and promise from Jesus. These verses say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and, hard and, and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So two things that I want to highlight from these verses that are relevant to this message. The first one is that these verses contain a wonderful promise, which is that Jesus will give us rest, that in him, we will find rest for our souls. But this happens as we come to him, as we follow him and take his yoke, that is his way of living upon us, as we learn from him and what he said, what he did, and who he is. So this rest is 100% resting, pun intended, on Jesus, but it's also 100% our responsibility to come to him and follow his way of living. And the second thing to highlight from these verses is that the Greek word that has been translated as rest, anapao, is the same Greek word that has been translated as refresh in the passage that Phil has read for us so brilliantly before. And refreshing others, as we see in 1 Corinthians 16, 18, is all about providing rest to others and restoration to those around us. And when we think about it, we find rest for our souls when we learn to walk at Jesus' pace in our lives and not at the frantic speed that the world is demanding from us. But for us to find true rest and refreshment for our souls, we must also learn to walk in the same direction that Jesus is walking. And when we think about it, we can learn a lot from Jesus about the right rhythms of life and pace of life by the way in which we see that prayer, silence, solitude, saying no to others in order to say yes to God were common practices for him. But also, we can learn from him and we are called to imitate from him the way in which he devoted himself to others and how he provided rest, restoration and refreshment to those around us around him, sorry. And the thing is that if we are serious about following Jesus, then we also need to embrace this aspect of his way of living. We need to embrace this point of refreshing those around us, whilst recognizing that he is the ultimate source of refreshment for our souls. And this is why this message is all about this aspect of following Jesus, this aspect of learning from him about how to refresh one another. And Jonathan is now going to help us explore the context of the letter of 1 Corinthians, a letter that was written by Paul to the Corinthian church, and a church that was plagued by draining challenges. But this letter is packed with refreshment and lessons for us today 
about how we can refresh one another. Yes. Thank you, you did well. You also clapped for me, thank you. Uh, my name is Jonathan. Um, I'm also a member here at Westminster Chapel. I am a husband to my wife, Hannah, who's running after my son somewhere back there. Um, and I'm a missionary here in London with the Youth of the Mission. So, we're going to take a look at Corinth, and I think that is the next slide. Um, and we wanted to see what is the, the cultural context. What, what context is Paul writing this letter into? And especially, I'm interested, or we're interested in how how does it relate to London? Are there any are there any parallels that we can draw? So I'm going to start off at the at the beginning, and it says it, it's an economic center. It really was the economic center of the region. I, I hope you can see it on the map where it's also situated. It had a port towards the west. The west would have been Rome, Spain all that part of the Roman Empire, or, and to the east, and that would have been Israel or Egypt at the time, very important. And it was a, a city that was prospering. It was a city that, um, yeah, where, where there was a lot of wealth. It was also a city of intellectual importance. It was quite close to Athens, and I think we all know that Athens was quite important. Um, it wasn't Athens, of course not, but still the people were quite fond of their intellect, of their wisdom. The city um, also had this great position that any ideas from there would spread, and they would spread throughout the Roman Empire. Corinth was politically, uh, politically significant. Um, it had been conquered and destroyed completely by Rome and then rebuilt, and it was rebuilt as a Roman imperial city. Um, yes, and it was the, the capital of that southern part of Greece, the province Ikea, which included Athens and Sparta and the cities that we actually know. The city had been resettled then, from people from around the Roman Empire. It was there, was, there was obviously Romans, there was Jews, there was Greeks, there were people that used to be slaves and, and people that were still slaves, people that used to be soldiers, and that's just what we know, but it was a culturally really diverse place. The morals of the city were known to be loose. It was, it was known in Greece to be a city where there was a temple of Aphrodite, and they had a lot and lot of prostitutes there. The church that Paul writes to is then a reflection of, of this society. So we see that there was economic wealth, um, but with it came the inequalities. And, and we can see that because Roman, uh, Paul addresses how some people would have lots to eat, at the same time as other people were going hungry. There was, Paul had to address this issue of wisdom or intellect. He had to say how the human wisdom really stand at odds at, with God's wisdom and God's wisdom being so much superior. 
he had to go into, or Paul went into how the resurrection would actually be in the body, and, and we know that Greeks really rejected that. And in all of this kind of environment, things started to become political. People were following Apollos. Other people were saying, no, but I'm following Paul. I am part of this kind of faction, and I have this other faction. And, and we get to a place where Corinth, really, the church is divided. There's just division in, in the body. There's different cultures, and with different cultures come different ideas and different customs. There were the Jews that still had their law, and they were thinking, how can we, do we still apply this? How, how do we apply this? But then there's other cultures who have different ideas, and, and what, what about circumcision? And sexual immorality was very present in the church, and a lot of the uh, Corinthian, the, the letter covers that. There are values that people had and, and things that they considered virtues that all of a sudden, now, they, they were Christians and, and they were no more virtuous. They actually stood at odds with the things that Christ, the teaching of Christ was about. It was a mess, really. It was a mess. And in this mess, everyone is there fighting for themselves, fighting for significance saying, I am better, I am better because I can eat the meat. I am better because I, I actually, I, I don't eat meat. I am better because I speak in tongues, I have this fantastic spiritual gift. I am better and I have this, I, I look at me, I'm so wealthy, look at me, how free I am. I understand the freedom that God has given me better. And everyone is just... Oh, it's, it's so draining, it's, it's exhausting, everyone's fighting. I'm just, I'm just thinking, just imagine, they, they, they might have had Instagram at the time, you know? Paul kind of calms it down a little bit and he brings it back to reality. He kind of tries to, to yeah, give people rest. It's not, it's not actually about all of this, he says. It's not, a, it's not actually even, even really about you, it's really about Jesus, it's about his church. And it's, and yes, yes, you are a very important part of that church, yes. He's putting priorities back in order and he's concluding the letter by commending some people that are doing this really, really well. And that's part of what we're reading about earlier. So when we read this, we should be asking ourselves, what is it that they have done to refresh others? What is it that I can learn from them that I am called to imitate? So let's look at this more closely. In verse 15, um, and it would be the next slide, uh, in verse 15 we can see that um, Stephanas and his household were the first converts in the region of uh, Achaia that Paul had uh, preached to. Therefore, the first thing that we learn from them is that they have received refreshment for their souls 
for everyone here that has received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will know that that is a tremendous refreshment for your soul because we are replacing the eternal burden of death and sin with the hope, with the joy, with the freedom and refreshment that only Jesus can provide by what he has accomplished on the cross for you. So that's the first thing that we learn from them. They have received this refreshment from God. But the story did not end there. After they received this refreshment, they devoted themselves to the service of others in the church. They devoted themselves to refresh those around them. In other words, they continued the chain of refreshment that started in God, and they extended that refreshment to others. And this chain always starts with God because he's the source of living water that never dries up. But he's calling us to continue that chain and extend it to others. And here I want to ask you two important questions. The first one is, are you, first of all, tapping into God's refreshment that he wants to give you? Are you? And the second question is, is his refreshment for you stopping with you? Or is it continuing through you onto others? And here I want to acknowledge something, which is that refreshing others sometimes can be costly. It takes time, it takes effort, and sometimes we receive pain in return. Ouch and double ouch when it happens in the context of the church with other believers. Division, pride, relational drama, we're not exclusive of the Corinthian church. They do happen to us today, including at Westminster Chapel. And the thing about all this uh, suffering and this draining that these things can um, create on us is that we can grow cold in our hearts about serving others, about refreshing others. And also we can get into the mindset of, I have already done my part. Now is the turn of others to be serving. Now is the turn of others to be the refreshers. I have done my lot already. And I believe that God is calling me to share this simple exhortation with all of you, which is, look at Jesus. And looking at Jesus is not ignoring our pain, but looking at him and following him whilst we're having that pain. Others will fail, will disappoint, will hurt us, but Jesus is always, always faithful, always willing to give us his rest and refreshment for our souls. And looking at Jesus is giving more weight, more value to what he says and does to us than what others say, do, or do not do. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning is, come, come and receive my rest and refreshment for your soul, but also follow me, walk side by side with me in giving that refreshment to others. Proverbs 11.25 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And I love this concept. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And I think that a truth that sits behind this verse is that when we are refreshing others, we are where Jesus is. We are walking side by side with him, receiving his love for us, receiving his refreshment, and following where he's leading us, which is in loving those around us. So if you have been the victim of sin of others, and we all have, we all have sinned and been sinned against, I want to encourage you to look at Jesus and stop the chain of pain, suffering, sin, and instead choose to 
receive his refreshment for your soul and extend that refreshment onto others. Second thing that we can learn from Stephanas and uh, his household is that they refresh others in, in, in the church by taking the doubts, the questions, the criticism that they were having for Paul and the gospel that he was preaching to them, and they took all of that and brought it to Paul, who in response wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians. And then they took that letter and brought it back to the Corinthian church. And they could have strived to attempt to provide answers to the Corinthian church by themselves, but instead they served by helping them see what God wanted to say to them through the shape of this letter from Paul. And the principle to take away from here is that God sometimes is calling us to refresh others in a very practical and impactful way by helping them get one step closer to Jesus, by helping them see what God says to them. And I think this reveals something about the gentle and beautiful heart of God, because sometimes he's calling us to refresh others by helping them see what God says to them, and then is asking us to rest in the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts, minds of situation of that person. So two questions about this. Who in your life have you been trying to help on your own strength? And how could you be giving them instead the very best thing that you can offer to them, which is more of Jesus? And what God says to them about them, about who God is, and about their situation. Now we're going to be looking at the broader context of the letter of 1 Corinthians and explore more lessons that we can get from this letter about how to refresh one another. And we're going to start by looking at 1 Corinthians verse, so chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. So this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And it says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And these verses relate to an important piece of context about this letter, which is that Paul had been criticized for not being an eloquent speaker. And some people in the Corinthian church were rejecting his leadership, his authority, his ministry, and important parts of the gospel that he had preached to them. And imagine how difficult that must have felt for Paul, a church that he planted, that he cared for, that he nurtured, that he was still loving by writing this letter in 1 Corinthians, and that he continued to love even further by writing the letter of 2 Corinthians, had been rejecting him, and to some extent his character, his ministry, and the Jesus that he had shared with them. And I believe this is why, at the end of this letter, Paul takes the space and time to commend Stephanas and his household for refreshing his spirit, because everyone, including Paul the Apostle, needs refreshing. And the reality of life is that all of us are going to go through difficulties, challenges, and very draining situations including friendly fire, like the one that Paul was receiving from his brothers and sisters in the Corinthian church. And this is where we need to choose to 
recognize that we are human, that we are impacted by all of this, and that we need God, that we need to rest in his power, in his glory, in his love for us, that we cannot do it by ourselves. We utterly need God to refresh our souls. And in community, when we hide that we are weak, that when we pretend that we uh, have it all together, we are imposing an unrealistic and an unnecessary burden on ourselves, but also on others. And we are ultimately stealing God of his glory. Whereas when we come in authenticity, in vulnerability, in honesty and humbleness to others, we are giving room for God's power and grace to shine in our lives. And this is what Paul did. The beautiful testimony that we see from him in these verses is that he came in weakness, in fear and trembling to the Corinthians. He did not bring persuasion or worldly wisdom, but the only key thing that he brought was Jesus and what he had accomplished on the cross for him, for the Corinthians, and for us today. Paul was authentic in his weakness. He shared his struggles. He shared his limitations, but that resulted in a wonderful demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit in a weak, real vessel like Paul. Now, Paul was willing to be honest about his weakness and rest in God's power. Are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to recognize that you are not God, that you need him? that you need God's strength for your life? And could it be that God is inviting you to put pride aside and share your struggles and battles with someone else in the church and ask for prayer? I think this is great news for us, actually, for our generation. Because our heart cry, isn't our heart cry to be authentic, to be real people? I, I know that we just, we, we want that. And I know that that's not just us, it's, it's London. London needs authentic people. And as our facade is allowed to come down, and we learn to find rest in Jesus, really. Throughout this letter, Paul introduces what he then calls the most excellent way. Paul shows a better way of living as Christians in the middle of a society that is plagued by the promotion of self, my rights, my desires, my needs, my status, my significance, my ideas, or shall we call it my truth, my factions, those I walk behind. And he writes what I'll call Love's Manifesto. I actually have to read that from here. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. 
if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where the prophecies, they will cease. Where their tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. Isn't, isn't that refreshing for us? Doesn't that give your soul just rest? Love is patient, kind, no envy, no boasting, not proud. It does not dishonor others. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. If you're anything like me, you would want that kind of person around you. Is anyone like me? Maybe not. You want to stay close to them, right? You, you probably want them to be your friend, actually. But when I think about it, I also want to be that kind of friend myself to others. Today I want to encourage you, because you can be that person, that, that friend for someone that, that needs rest. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all need rest. We're all in need. We're all in need. What would it look like for you today in this church? in your friendships, in your relationships, to be that person. In 1 Corinthians, there are practical examples of how to seek the good for others and how to love well. Paul gives us those. There's this argument about the, the meat, the sacrificed meat to idols, and, and the answer is love. Restrain yourself for the better of the other. There are these examples about the Lord's Supper and there's this problem. And Paul just says, just love them. If you have so much, just, just share. Or if you're really hungry, eat at home first and then come to the fellowship because really it's about the fellowship, isn't it? And at the end of the letter, in chapter 16, he just repeats it and he says, do everything in love. Do it all in love. And he continues and he speaks about the household of Stephanus, who devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. And it would seem that he emphasizes that 
Stephanos actually looked at the individual people. He saw them as individual members of the church. But that also is, leads us to the third way that we can give rest to others. And is being one body, but with many parts. I think there's, there's a good news here, because the fight for significance is already won. We are already important. We are already important to God. We're already important to, to Him and His church, and we have a place. We have a place where we fit in. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 and 20 says, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Each of us is different, and we each have an important role to play. God knows also what we need. He placed each one of us in this church, and he knows what each of us needs. He knows what Westminster Chapel needs, and he has placed us all in the right place already. He has distributed the gifts in the church accordingly. And Paul is encouraging us to unity. Because essentially, when there's division, each one of us is lacking. It leaves just each one of us wanting. I, I brought another picture that I stole from my son. Can you all see this? What, what is this? Legos, yes, it's bricks of Legos, great. But it's just bricks. Um, let's go to the next slide. What is it now? A helicopter. So I, I renamed this um, One Helicopter, Many Bricks. They're exactly the same bricks that you saw in the, in the previous picture. It's, it's, it's all there. It was all there before already. What would happen if just one of these bricks is, is missing? I don't know if you can see that really, but... Well, it wouldn't really be a helicopter, or it would be an ugly helicopter. What if we switched the bricks just around? Just Would it still be a helicopter? I, I think not. I think we wouldn't be able to see that this is a helicopter anymore. Each brick and each member of the church has its unique shape and unique purpose. Other question, which brick is better? Can you think of which brick is better here? I think it just ends all our competition, doesn't it? Or our striving. When everything is built together, we see something that is actually much greater than the individual brick. We don't just see bricks and and my hope really is that when people see Westminster Chapel when we look at 
Westminster Chapel, that we would actually see something greater, something greater, not just a bunch of bricks, but something greater. My question is, how can you, with your gifting, your character, in your uniqueness, enrich this church? Can you think about that? My last point is forward as one. It says here, I urge you brothers and sisters to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. This is, this is I have I admit, this is countercultural. Submission is not something that everybody loves right now. Submission, though, is actually for our own good. It's not for the good of those that we submit to. It's, it's for our own good. Because submission starts, at, first of all, in our hearts. It is the recognition, actually, that we are not the final authority. It is the recognition that we need one another. We need other people. Submission comes from a place of, of humility. And that is, is good for, for me. And it comes from a willingness to learn. It is the attitude that enables us to receive refreshing and to actually come to rest. Hebrews 13, 17 also speaks on how it is a joy for those who are leading people with this kind of attitude. And in that submission, the whole body of Christ can come together and we can come together and come to rest. In this rest, we focus on Jesus. We walk with him. We can walk in his direction. We can work towards or walk towards his vision for Westminster Chapel, for London. And we walk together. We walk together forward as one. There are those in our church in Westminster Chapel that serve the saints that are looking at the individuals here that work and that labor. We have leaders in our church that have been a source of refreshment to us. Don't we just want to join them? Join them in their work? Join them on that path that they are walking on? In submission? And cheer them on? And learn? we start drawing this message to a close, let me read Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. We have a good, good shepherd in Jesus who in his perfect love for us is guiding us, is leading us in a gentle way towards his rest, restoration, and refreshment for our souls. 
and Jesus is leading us into making his church, Westminster Chapel, an oasis of refreshment. And what an invigorating, energizing, exciting and refreshing picture to think that God is building at the heart of London in this church an oasis of refreshment for those that come in contact with it. As each one of us chooses to look at Jesus and his refreshment for our souls and as his invitation to walk with him in the same direction of refreshing those around us. God is making in this church a place where everyone can feel welcome, accepted, and loved. Where the more authentic we are with one another and with God, the more we're going to be seeing God's glory and grace in our lives. Where everyone continues to do good to one another, to all, including those who have hurt us, because we look at Jesus and at his hope and promise that at the proper time, there will be a harvest if we do not give up. A church that understands that God has so arranged the body that everyone, and that includes you and includes me, everyone is essential to one another. And this translates into each one of us showing up and bringing to others what God has given to us for the building up of his church. Ultimately, God is building a church that does not rest in our power or in our wisdom, but on his grace. And a church that is packed with people, you and I, that eagerly follows Jesus in loving others. So come. Come to this church and restore your soul in Jesus. But also come and follow him. Walk side by side with Jesus in providing refreshment to those around you. So today we wanted to also put in practice this vision, this picture of us being a refreshment, oasis of refreshment at the heart of London by having a corporate time of refreshment. And we're going to be doing this by refreshing some of our key refreshers, our life group leaders. And for those that do not know what a life group is, they consist of small groups of people from these church that gather on a weekly basis to grow in their relationship with God and with one another. They provide its members, a church family, and an ongoing source of refreshment. And they are a perfect way to connect with others and do life together in this church. And something great about them is that they are open to everyone. So if you are not part of a life group yet, I want to strongly invite you and recommend you to try one and make the most of your new life group. And for life groups to run, they need life group leaders. And they are brothers and sisters in our church that devote themselves to the care of the members of their group and in bringing their life groups together. In other words, life group leaders devote themselves to the refreshment of others in this church. And being a life group leader myself, I can attest that being one is a wonderful joy, it's a privilege to be able to serve God and others in this church in this way. But also, if I can come in honesty and in authenticity, and I'm sure that other life group leaders will share this sentiment, leading a life group sometimes can be challenging and difficult, draining. It's real life, we're dealing with people, right? And this is partially one of the key reasons why during the summer we have a break for life groups and life group leaders so that 
they can restore their souls, have a break, uh, recharge batteries before ex starting a new exciting season in September. But we have just seen throughout this message that there is a type of rest that we experience in community, a type of rest and refreshment that we can give to and receive from others. So I want to invite all of us to use this time, this opportunity that God is giving us today to provide this refreshment to our life group leaders. And this is how we're going to be doing it. Usually, uh, after the message and the first worship song, the prayer ministry and also the life of leaders would go to the side and would be there available to anyone that wants to come to them and receive prayer from them. And today we're going to shake things up a little bit. And actually, if the band can start coming up, now is a good moment. So what we're going to be doing is that today the life group leaders and assistant leaders are going to be going to the side during this worship song. And then everyone else is going to provide refreshment to them. And I think you have been seeing that table for a while, so let me talk through it. So if you are in person here today and you are part of a life group, I want to share with you an invitation to choose between two options. The first one is that if you feel more comfortable doing so, you can stay where you are and you pray for your life group leaders and assistant leaders. But also I want to encourage you to pray about how God is leading you, inviting you to refresh them and the rest of your group, perhaps by being more present or serving the needs of others in your life group. So that is option one for those that are in person here and part of a life group. Option two, and this is the one that I want to be honest, I would love a lot of us to choose, to opt, is that you stand up after the first uh, worship song you go to the life group leaders and assistant leaders and you provide refreshment to their souls by praying for them. And if you feel led by the Spirit, it would be great if you can share a word of encouragement to them. And it could be something as simple as saying, thank you for a way in which they have blessed you in the past. So those are the options for those that are in person, part of a life group. If you are not part of a life group, then I want to encourage you to use this time to speak with your good, good father and chat with him about whether he's inviting you to join one of these life groups, to position yourself in a place where you can, on an ongoing basis, receive refreshment from others, but also have the chance to provide refreshment to others in this church. If you are online, then choose between these options depending on whether you're part of a life group. If that's you, then you can pray for them and perhaps send them a WhatsApp message. If you are not part of a life group, then again, I want to encourage you to pray about whether God is leading you and inviting you to join one. And if you are a visitor of none of these options apply to you, then final invitation is that you pray with God and thank him for the great refreshment that he has given to you in the past and the promise of rest and refreshment that he's given to you for the future and about how he's leading you to refresh others in your life. So now let's join this time of praise, of worship for God, and after that, let's imitate Jesus. Let's walk side by side with him in refreshing others, in creating an oasis of refreshment at the heart of London that is for God's glory, for his name's sake. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. 
If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.